0: Welcome to the Humanity Leadership Podcast. My name is David Wheatley. We're here to talk leadership in small, bite-sized and practical chunks. Enjoy. Well, welcome to this episode of the Humanity Leadership Podcast, which is another one of our first Friday sessions. And if you've not come across Humanity's first Friday sessions, they happen on the first Friday of every month at 12 noon Eastern time and go on for about 50 minutes. And it's an interactive work session around leadership. And this month, uh, Corey Fernandez, my colleague, is talking about how to reduce misunderstandings and get people on the same page, where he's going to cover things like working through issues with people, explaining why and how decisions are made, listening and understanding first, repeating back a summary of what you've just been told being completely clear about follow-up and what you'll do and what you won't do, and starting meetings with outputs and rules for discussion. Here's Corey.
1: All right, so we're going to dive in and talk about this important topic of how do I reduce misunderstandings and get people on the same page. So I'm going to share my screen with you momentarily. And I love this particular topic, and I find myself thinking it's one of the probably the most important things we can explore as leaders in our everyday work with teams. Um, And I love this particular topic because if you think about how many times we communicate in any given day, it can range from probably dozens to even in the hundreds. I mean, there is an abundance of communication when you think about all the ways we text each other, we post things on, you know, in our team's meetings, Uh, we might send email back and forth to one another, we might be on the phone Any of those things count as communication back and forth to one another, and so that means there's an abundance of opportunity for us to actually create understanding, and there's also an abundance of opportunity for us to create misunderstandings, and so we're going to go through kind of six key areas or topics to think about when we're trying to reduce misunderstandings and increase the number of understandings that we have throughout our everyday communications and how we're connecting with our people, our teams, and so on. And so here are the six. First up, work through issues with people first. Listen first, then discuss. And so this is where you know I think oftentimes um, as people, as human beings, we're very capable of going into autopilot. We just kind of snap into very comfortable behaviors, familiar behaviors without even realizing it. And when issues pop up when there's an issue that surfaces on the table a common autopilot behavior that i often hear with leaders that i partner with is they get involved right away by trying to fix it or tell others what to do or even solving the issues directly for themselves and this often comes from a place of wanting to be very helpful right you can kind of feel the stress or anxiousness when an issue pops up and they want to snap to it and resolve the issue And when we go into this autopilot space, we've all been there before, this can lead to some unintended consequences. Over time, we can actually become a dispensary for answers and next steps. So people actually come to us all the time over time where they they are seeking our input, they're seeking our guidance, they want to see what we have to say before they act on something. And employees then start to rely on our thinking and our perspectives and not their own. And this in this case is right when we get into this pattern, when we get into this kind of place, it can limit what we see and don't see. And we can end up with less desirable options, less desirable solutions to solve the issue. And so we believe a more favorable or a more valuable default as leaders is to try to really listen first. And I love partnering with this one leader right now over the last year or so. His kind of mantra, his kind of way of seeing the world is. When my people come to me with an issue, when my peers come to me with an issue, my default is to ask them to solve their problems out loud. He wants to hear them kind of talk through the way that they're addressing the issue or want to address the issue, trying to see it from their perspective, talk through it out loud. And he's really listening in that space. And by having them actually go through that and solve it out loud, he's actually given them the space to feel like their contributions, their thinking matters. And he's gaining really valuable insight in terms of what they see or don't see for how to approach that particular issue. And it it really kind of highlights this quote that I love, that listening is an act of generosity and a source of discovery. This leader, Brad, right, not only does he gain really valuable information and discovers really valuable information about what their people are thinking, what his people are thinking trying to solve these issues, but he's also given them the space to have some discovery as well and actually figure out different options they might have at their fingertips. And so this becomes a really important practice. Listen first, then discuss. Let's see here. A couple of things I want to highlight here is one of the things that we can find ourselves getting a little bit of trap in. And this is where there's a little bit of a watch out is when we're trying to listen and trying to have that be our default is we might hear something that we disagree with. And we might urge, you know, out of urgency, kind of snap to sharing our perspective and kind of snap to sharing what we think is right. And that shuts people down. And so. You know, in this space of listening first and discussing, the important thing is we're trying to really capture perspective and capture understanding and then use some dialogue from there to actually continue to have a discussion. Even if, our, even if we disagree, then we can actually have a dialogue because we better understand each other's perspective and we can actually then discuss what the best path forward is. It's a little bit of a watch out there for us. As we work to the next one here, explain why and how decisions are made. You know, the, the metaphor that always kind of snaps to my mind when I think about our work in organizations is oftentimes we are, we, we are individuals that hold important puzzle pieces. Um, and sometimes it's very hard for us to see how our pieces fit with other pieces. And so whenever we're in the position to explain to a team or to explain to peers or explain to direct reports how and why decisions are made, it's an attempt to actually hold up a box top or hold up parts of a box top So that people can see more clearly how their decisions or how how different decisions are impacting one another and how things actually fit together a little bit more clearly. Um, And it's a really important part. If we miss opportunities to explain why and how, we start to then act out of our own assumptions. We might fill in gaps with limited information. We might start to make up stories about why something's effective or ineffective. And it's really important that we have that context when we're describing how and why decisions are being made. Um, Again, it's helping people connect the dots a little bit more, see a little bit more big picture, how things fit together. I think a fair example, right, is if I were to say, you know, David, I want you to spend X amount of time with this customer over the next quarter. And so David kind of dutifully takes that directive to kind of focus on this particular customer over the next quarter. He might just make certain decisions about what he should be doing in that space and how he should be actually spending time with that customer. Now, if I said, David, it's really important that you spend time with this customer, this client. And in this particular instance, I don't want you to work to upsell this client on anything. In fact, I know they have some budget constraints going into this next year. It's really important, though, that you work just to strengthen this relationship because they've been a strong referral source for us for five years running. Now that frames up a little bit of a different space for David to play and how he actually might interact with that particular client or customer because again he has he has a perspective he has some of that background information in terms of how and why we're going about that work next up listen and understand first then act and in this space I often think about our brains as actually having two different modes of thinking or two different modes of actually listening on one hand One mode, we can actually listen like a sponge, and this is where we're really capable of understanding another person, really trying to build empathy for that person. And on the other hand, we can be really good at being filters, and this is where our brains can pattern match and problem solve. We have two modes. Now, the challenge when we get into the pattern matching and problem solving, the filtering, is that when we're dealing with employees and customers and so on and big issues like economic uncertainty, racial, ethnic, gender equality, childcare coverage, hybrid work arrangements, and so on, we can miss important aspects of another's experience, and we can then rely too heavily on our biases and prejudices and so on. And so this is where it's really important that we try to snap into different modes of listening, um, where the the sponge becomes really, really important here, um, where we're, we're able to fully appreciate somebody's experience and what they're trying to tell us And I remember a a friend of mine, Justin, who's an ER doctor, he talks about the tension he feels as a doctor. He's been clinically trained to see the world in patterns and algorithms where he truly pattern matches and problem solve, shows up, he's seen, he's diagnosing different patterns, and then he responds appropriately. But if he relies on that too much, if he relies on that too often, he actually can miss certain clues, miss certain parts of that patient's experience that can help him better respond. And so this is where we want to be in this position. If, to, if we want to reduce misunderstandings, how can we activate the sponge part of our brain where we're listening and listening and not to, like a sponge and not just filtering? Um, kind of a, a way of protocol that I can often think about um, when I'm trying to do this work is my default is just to understand, really just try to understand and appreciate and absorb, then try to state what I might agree with, then try to state what I might disagree with. And then we can kind of, you know, with that kind of shared perspective, or with those perspectives on the table, we can make decisions going forward, uh, but not trying again, you know, do that pattern matching or problem solving that can get me into trouble a little bit and and misinformation along the way. Okay. Next up is repeat back a summary of what people have told you. Um, And now this is where I get the sense, at least in my work as a human being, that this is kind of an everyday survival skill, uh, not just a leadership skill. Um, I actually think this is probably the number one difference maker that we can do consistently in our lives to save time, to save frustration, to strengthen credibility, to strengthen our trust with other people and, and our connectivity with somebody. And if we've ever been on the receiving end of somebody that really summarizes what we're saying well, We have moments where we feel seen and heard and valued, and that's an incredibly powerful tool, right, that we can use to help somebody feel seen and heard and valued. And so, you know, the work that the human energy team does a lot with one another, with our clients and so on, is trying to help them build some muscle around summarizing really well, using that as a critical kind of routine in our listening with folks. And it can seem a little awkward at first, um, if we're not used to that, if we're not very skilled at doing that work. And so I often invite people to take the pressure off by even telling people that they, they want to really do this work of understanding them. And one of the things they, they're trying to do is to summarize back what they're hearing every so often so that they can kind of quiet down any competing thoughts and actually just really appreciate what they're hearing from somebody and summarize that well before they actually try to respond and share their perspective and so on. And so it's an important practice. That if if you don't find yourself doing it often, I do think it's a difference maker, maybe the number one difference maker, and an incredibly valuable survival skill for how we actually reduce understandings, build credibility, build trust with people, and so on. And next up here, we just have a couple more. Oh, yes. (laughs) Just to show you a little picture here. The, the value, right, too, with summarizing really well is let's just say I have a triangle in my head and I'm sending that to David and David actually what he understands and what he summarizes is a square. When he summarizes the square, that gives me a chance to actually fill in additional information, fill in different pieces. And we can partner better together to all of a sudden now land in a place where we have the same pictures in our head. The, the triangle matches the triangle and that summarizing is a critical way to get there. Next up, be completely clear about your follow-up, what you will do and what you won't do. Um, And so this is where, if you think about follow-up, you know, in a lot of ways, this is our job of doing what we agreed to do. And in some instances, our agreements with one another and what we agree to follow up on can be a little sloppy. Um, These can be things that we might offer to one another um, with the best of intentions of following up, with the best of intentions of following through but we leave it very vague and ambiguous. And what we call these at Energy is we call these meet me in Detroit."s Um, These are, I might say to David, Hey, David, meet me in Detroit. And if I leave it very vague and open, there's a lot of variability for where David can try to meet me and where I can try to meet him. And it can lead to some frustration and some challenges for us actually coming together. Um, One I use at home a lot is in a moment. I say that when my wife asks me for help on something, I'll say, in a moment. And inevitably, she might think two minutes. I might think five minutes. And we're at a mismatch and some frustration unintentionally can boil. And so when we talk about following through and following up, we want to be really clear about what we can do, what we can't do, when we can do it, and so on. And it helps to try to reduce some of that misunderstanding, helps us stay on the same page more quickly, and so on. And I'll share an example of what this looks like. One of your peers in the crowd is Jen Brzezowski. Uh, This is a a list that Jen and I created with her team a couple weeks ago. And her team offered these for some of their Meet Me in Detroits. Some of these might sound very familiar to you. You might use some of these yourselves when you're actually responding to peers or clients and so on. And what we're trying to do is avoid these, eliminate these, and be more and more clear about how we're going to follow up. When we're going to do it, what we can do, what we can't do, and when somebody can expect that from us. Okay. And last up is start meetings with defined outputs and rules for discussion. If you think about meetings, you know, meetings have, whether we realize it or not, outputs that can either feed our organization with highly, highly nutritious food, kind of the organic farm to table stuff. Or our meetings can actually feed our organizations with less and less nutritious food, where people leave confused, they are unmotivated, um, they aren't clear what their role is and how they're contributing to something and so on. And so I challenge leaders to be thinking about meetings as truly kitchens of our organization. And every meeting has outputs. And we want those to be as highly nutritious as possible to feed our organizations as much as possible in terms of engagement, high, high coordination, uh, momentum, uh, you know, quality decisions where we're aligned and so on. And so our work as leaders to do that, to feed our organizations really well, is we wanna help people come into meetings with clear outputs and, how, and rules for how we're gonna work together. And a quick example I'll share with you is on one hand, on the left side of the screen, we can just tell our folks, hey, we're gonna meet Tuesday at 10 a.m. And immediately, every participant might have a different picture for what we're going to be doing on Tuesday at 10 a.m. Alternatively, on the right-hand side, I can ask folks to show up on Tuesday. We're going to be making a decision on X. The impact of the decision will be, kind of speaking to what's to come. Prior to the meeting, please review. Here's some pre-work, some inputs, and we're going to follow this agenda. And when I'm clear about the outputs, the inputs, how we're going to make decisions, the actual ways we're going to convert those inputs into outputs. All of a sudden people have much greater focus. We're able to snap to the work. We're able to get less distracted by competing interests and so on, because we have a clear path forward for what we're going to be focusing on.
0: So that was Corey Fernandez. and uh, he is contactable through Humanity. If you want to know more about what he just shared, if you want to know more about our uh, first Fridays, go to Humanity.com where you can subscribe and uh and join our first Friday work sessions and they're going to continue. We've got a schedule through to ooh, uh, it's going to be the end of next year 2023 at the moment so and we've got lots of good topics coming up first Friday of every month 12 noon eastern time and uh, it doesn't cost anything to join just join engage I love to have you be part of it. If you uh, have been paying attention to these first Fridays then much of the work in the first seven sessions is taken from our first book, 50 Do's for Everyday Leadership, which is available at Amazon and at Humanity. And um, we can do you a deal on them. Give me a, drop me a line. We can sort you out with a copy of the book. Thanks for listening. That was the Humanity Leadership Podcast. My name's David Wheatley. For further information about Humanity, go to Humanity.com or check out our latest book, What Great Teams Do Great, from all good bookstores. Have a good one. Stay healthy.